What is up, guys? And thank you for watching and listening to our very new, brand new podcast, The Uncommitted, a basketball recruiting podcast hosted by yours truly, EJ Stewart, uh, along with Kendall. And as you guys see, we're doing this on YouTube, and this is our first venture into an actual video podcast. So for those of us who listen to you, those of you guys who listen to us on our um, YouTube channel, New Gener- or rather our podcast network, New Generation Podcast Network, we're on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and Stitcher. You can also not find this podcast in totality on YouTube. We're going to be doing it in about a month. Uh, every every month, every top of the month, we'll be having podcasts, anything crazy breaks we may do a special one uh, this is not going to be like sports talk or hero talk where we you know we're here every week but uh we feel like there's a, a void when it comes to basketball recruiting podcasts and you know kendall being like just so on top of this stuff i love high school basketball and college basketball we thought that this made a lot of sense so um we came up with the name uncommitted i gotta give kendall credit we were talking about a lot of names here kendall of course being my co-host i'll bring him in now kendall uh, talk a little bit about, uh, how, first of all, how excited you are about this new venture and this new name. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the venture, uh, super excited. You know, we're talking about something that obviously we followed uh, our whole lives, pretty much. And uh, we're both huge fans of college basketball, you being a Gonzaga fan, obviously. Um, Shout out. Had, had to represent be, episode one. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, normally Gonzaga, you know, wouldn't be involved in basketball recruiting, but that things have changed. Um, yeah, things have changed in recent years, man. We're yeah, going to talk about it a little bit on the show. But, uh, and, you know, I'm a Memphis fan. So, I, you know, I, like, we're both obviously plugged in on, on basketball recruiting, and we have... Uh, we've talked about this stuff off air and the couple of videos that we've done on the uh, high school basketball scene have been fairly well received so we figured why not turn into a podcast Um, in terms of the name you know I think it's funny because we had been going back and forth about potential names and we throw this out there and that out there Uh, but none of them really felt great and for various reasons this show for a while on our we had teased the show for a while on our on Sports Talk, and we every time we teased it, we were like, we still don't have a name for it. <laughs> and so I figured, since it was a basketball recruiting podcast, how about uncommitted? Since we are uncommitted <laughs> to a name for exactly. the show, so I mean, as far as we know, it's going to go forward as un- uncommitted. Maybe eventually we will commit to a name. Who knows? But right now we are uncommitted, and that is uh, that's the future. This is episode one. Yeah, man, and that's the other thing too. Um, I, I I love the name. I think right now this could end up being the name of this podcast. But that's the other thing too is that unlike other podcasts you see on our on our Apple Podcasts page or our SoundCloud page, you'll see that we usually date our podcast. This will be a podcast that's actually numbered by episode, which is a lot a lot of podcasts do. Since we're not doing a show every week, I think it makes more sense to have this um, be a, a numbered podcast. I think that would be kind of a cool experience also to see how long and far this goes so this is episode one our first venture into this and uh let's let's kick off the show and let's start off with um really what's been dominating a lot of the uh chatter around high school basketball and college basketball and it's been um this this new venture that the g league has started that is launching with some of the top prospects in the 2020 uh class uh basketball recruiting world was absolutely rocked um, last week, uh, when uh, three of the top players had all been committed to foregoing their college uh, freshman years to sign lucrative deals to play in the G League. So Jalen Green, Isaiah Todd, uh, Daishin Nix, 
will all be part of a, a G League pathway program that will get them professional coaching, training, um, and uh, like 10 to 15 exhibition games with G League teams, um, other international teams, and even NBA academies. Uh, Green, who is seen by a lot of recruiting experts as the top player in the 2020 class, um, he signed a deal that's reportedly worth $500,000. Um, Todd and, and Nick's both you know, McDonald American players. Todd decommitted from Michigan. Nick's uh, reneged on a signed letter of intent to play at UCLA. So this is a, a massive deal. If you listen to Sports Talk, you heard us talk a lot about the, how the NCAA seemed to respond by allowing guys to um, now come in and and, uh, and and you know make money off of their own name and through their own likenesses. They can sign endorsement deals and sponsorships now. So uh, the G League certainly changed the game when it comes to recruiting. I'm curious, Kendall, just what do you make of, of, of what we can expect to see, not just from these guys in this one year in the G League, but kind of moving forward about this venture? Yeah, yeah, obviously, again, I'm a, uh, a Memphis Tigers fan, so this one hit really close to home in terms of the Jalen Green recruitment. Uh, we felt, uh, I'll say we because I like him on the team, <laughs> but, you know, Memphis felt really good about uh, Jalen Green committing. Uh, they have felt for two years now that he was kind of the top priority when Penny first got the job. First was James Wiseman. Second was Jalen Green. And it was a huge, huge blow to Penny Hardaway and what he was building, what he is building at Memphis, not getting Jalen Green to commit, especially considering Jalen Green said afterwards that had he gone to college, he planned on going to Memphis. So even though there's a lot of talk about Auburn, uh, figures that was all smoke and that he was still going to end up going to Memphis and that uh, such a blow to the Memphis Tiger program. Uh, and not only Penny, but also Juwan Howard and Mick Cronin both would blow. I think, I think of any of the programs that's most built to, to you know, kind of sustain off this or, or to, you know, be fine after all of this, I would say UCLA can... You know, Dacia Nix was is, is a obviously a terrific prospect, but he was sort of the icing on the cake. You know, they're they're, they're already going to be a Pac-12 favorite going into next season to bring most of their guys back. So, uh, I, you know, UCLA fans shouldn't be super worried. Um, but I mean, Memphis and Michigan. I mean, obviously, Isaiah Todd and Jalen Green were the they were going to be the premier players for their teams next season, both teams losing potential NBA prospects. So, uh, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how those teams uh, bounce back. Um, And especially when we talk about the G League, I don't think it's a coincidence that the two, two of the three teams so far that have been affected have been coached by two former NBA players whose pitch, uh, those being Penny Hardaway and Juwan Howard, have been, let me get you ready for the NBA. I know what the NBA is like. So a lot of those guys that you're going to get are going to be guys that say, well, I mean, why don't I just go to the G League? (laughs) I mean, I'm literally going to be prepared for the NBA by the NBA. This is the NBA's venture. So it's going to be difficult for those guys going forward uh, to convince the same type of five-star guy to go to their school as opposed to the NBA. Well, if you're going to Duke, you're not going to Duke necessarily to make the NBA. I'm sure it's part of it, but you're also going to Duke for the Duke experience. And playing for the playing for the brand, same with Kansas, same with even Kentucky. Maybe Kentucky also has some NBA to it, but um, Memphis and Michigan—that's 
particularly those are particularly NBA pipelines as yeah. they would hope for. Um, but it, I mean, the G League completely throw a monkey wrench in their recruitments, and now going forward, you're going to see teams, depending on what happens with the NCA and their name, image, and likeness uh, situation, you're going to see teams now have to try and alter recruiting strategies in terms of, all right, maybe we don't go after the top five or six guys because those guys are all maybe flagged for potential G League uh, targets. Yeah. Uh, and as far as we've heard about the G League, it sounds like at least for 2021, they're going to really stretch the guys they're going after. Like They're not just going after the Jalen Greens. They're going after you know the guys that may be high four stars. So it's going to be interesting to see how these coaches uh, you know, react to the moves by Adam Silver and Sharif Abdul-Rahim and you know, Rod Strickland, of all people. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. I mean, that's that is going to be interesting about this because, as you said, a place like Memphis, that's not a place that's a you know a blue blood type of school per se. They are you know recruiting really well right now, and they're one of the hot schools, so to speak. But they're not, uh, you know, a Duke, Kansas, Michigan State, a team that you know just every year they're going to have a certain amount of talent regardless of the situation. So you would think that those teams that would be hurt. Um, I, what's interesting about the whole idea about them expanding to four-star and five-star players, or four-star players, rather, and maybe players not necessarily, you know, top-of-the-line recruits, is uh, that does really kind of, you know, raise a lot of question marks about, you know, kids and their decision-making. Because, um, yes, that, that money that they'll, they'll get initially will probably be good, but I gotta be honest. I mean, if you're a four-star recruit and your plan is to do one year in a G League program and then go to the NBA, I mean, are there some guys who could really stand out and end up, you know, end up surprising and becoming first-round picks? Sure. I mean, we see that in college basketball guys who we didn't Isaac expect Burrow. to be. Yeah, we guys we didn't expect to, you know, be, you know, one-and-done guys that you know show up in college and do that. But yeah, that's still very rare. I mean, you may have a lot of guys who end up going to this program and. I'm not sure maybe you know, Kendall, but is this supposed to be something where, like, if you, you don't have to enter the draft after year one, can you stay in the program for multiple years? That hasn't really been... That hasn't really been explained, right? That hasn't been explained. You know, I think we assume that these guys are all going one and done. Um, right. And yeah, they've talked about this being a one and done venture to oust the one and done. But not all these guys are one and done. Not all the five stars are one and done. To put it blank, you know, like, I don't know for a fact that the Asian Knicks or, and Isaiah Todd were one and done. They may think they are, but a lot of guys think they are and then feel like they have to come back. But um, it is, I, and, you know, I don't know anybody's personal situations, but I do think it's a little ironic that uh, Sharif Abdul-Rahim is the uh, president of the G League and his son, Jabari, is signed high four-star, potential five-star guy signed to Virginia, he says he's not going to the G League. So if I were if I were a you know, a parent or even a prospect, I'd be like, why isn't your son playing in this thing? Right. So it was such a good venture. I mean, if I was, if I was you know, Penny Hardaway and Cal Parry, who I'll talk about their quotes in a second, I mean, I would, that would when I go to recruit, that's exactly what I'd be telling them. I'd be like, this program is so um, questionable that, you know, Shreefone even put his own son in it. Um, yeah. Now, what I will say, I want to make their make sure we get their quotes in because uh, Penny was not happy at all, and that would make sense considering he was probably the guy who lost out the most in this group of players that were leaving. Uh, he he basically compared it to tampering, 
And he initially uh, called for the NCAA to, quote, take some desperate measures, which I think they did, um, if, if you ask me. Uh, he added, "If it will affect how we recruit if the NCAA doesn't do something about it, if they don't keep taking steps steps forward to help these kids make money, uh, they're going to take $300,000, $400,000, $500,000 in the G League program for five months to play on a select team and just do basketball instead of go to class. Uh, and then Cal Parry uh, also went uh, on his own uh, Coffee with Cal show this week and said um, that the, the program will disillusion thousands and thousands of high school players about, you know, their basketball futures, which is kind of what we kind of just mentioned is, you know, okay, the Jalen Green, yeah, he can go one and done. I mean, Todd and... He'll be fine. Yeah, Todd, even Todd and Knicks. I mean, okay, they're five-star players. They're, they're, they're really good players. Uh, I think they would have been definitely impact players in their first year in college. But I don't, I don't know that they were guaranteed uh, one-and-done type guys. You know, like, I don't, I mean, you watch these guys even more than me. Am I wrong on that? Like, I think these were good players who could potentially have gone one and done, but they weren't complete yeah, sure things. Yeah, I mean, Knicks probably, I mean, you know, uh, if you're in that, Todd probably if you're in that range so Knicks, of, but. yeah, if you're in that range of 12 to 25 in high school basketball, and some classes are better than others, obviously, but if you're in that range from 12 to 25, you could, you can jump up to the top five, or you could be a guy that's undraftable. I mean, we saw last year, like we talked about Isaac Okoro, guy from, who was, you know, maybe 40, 50 in the, in the top 100, jumps up into a top five, top 10 pick at Auburn. And you look at someone like Matthew Hurt at Duke, top 15, top 10 guy who is undraftable and has to come back for a second year. What happens if Matthew Hurt decides last year, I'm just going to go to the G League? Now he's stuck. You know, and I think Matthew Hurt could have an NBA future once he gets stronger and develops. But he's not ready for the NBA next year. Some of these guys aren't ready for the NBA next year. And that's going to be the issue. Now, look, do I think Todd and Knicks, do I, I would have guessed they would have been one and done. But it's just not a it's not a slam dunk. My question to you, Jay, is why, do, why is the NBA doing this? Because I understand why the players yeah. are taking them. It's a pretty easy thing to, to explain. But why why does the NBA see value in not only – taking guys from Australia, taking guys from Europe that maybe thought about saying, all right, I can't go to college, I'm going to go to Europe. Now they're saying, we're going to take guys from the NCAA. They should right. have signed to go to the NCAA. Jalen Green planned to go to college. Why, what's their what's their end game? Is it just Yeah, a, I mean, I think the NBA... The yeah, I mean, I, to me, I have to go back to David Stern, you know, his initial you know comments about when they made the D-League, remember back then when it was the D-League. And, you know, they, they want a Mike... They want a minor league system. I think that they've always wanted something similar to what baseball has. Um, it was going to take a very long time. And it, it, the first, I'd say, I don't know how long G has been on, but it seems like 10 years. I mean, it's been really slow into making it anywhere close to what probably major league baseball has, where you have top young players playing in you know your minor league system. But I think at the end of the day, that's what NBA wants. So I think they look at the money that's been made uh, on the NCAA in college basketball, they're like, why can't we profit on those dollars in any kind of way? Why are we just, yes, they're kind of developing our talent. A lot of times, as we said before, the NBA and NCAA have been kind of a partnership in, in, a, in a training ground for future NBA players. Um, the NBA looks at it and says, you know, why can't we, you know, capitalize on that? And I think they knew that the, uh, the, the, the moral police were going to be on their side. Because at the end of the day, me and you both agree, 
players should have been getting played a long time ago. And people will look at this and say, well, look, at least these kids are going out there and they're actually getting paid for, for their talent. And and with this being a venue for them to do that, I, I think that's that's why we're seeing this. I think that the NBA saw and- a money-making opportunity and they're trying to capitalize. Because they, they want the G League to be something that is... A brand. A, a brand, a profitable brand, a, a marketable brand. Right now, it's not. And this could certainly help. I mean, if you're telling me you're getting the top players in high school and basketball guys who would be playing it, at Duke and North Carolina, yeah. that's going to make me interested. It sounds like they this. want multiple. Mark Steiner reported they want multiple G League select teams. Like, eventually, yeah. I think their vision is they have a G League East, a G League South, a G League West. Like, and that would be the end of college basketball as we know it. Um,. I do think in terms of the G Leagues, uh, just in terms of what is the value for them, because I feel like the NBA has to worry about, like teams have to worry about, all right, now when we're scouting Jalen Green, especially Jalen Green is so great, it may not matter, but someone like Isaiah Todd, Dacian Nix, their tape is, is just kind of irrelevant if they're playing a bunch of exhibitions, low competition exhibitions, versus guys that are playing in, in real games in the Big 12, like Kate Cunningham, or real games in the Pac-10, like Evan Mobley, those guys, while it may even be worse competition, it's just way, you know what you're seeing. If a guy's dominating the Pac-12, you know he's going to translate to the NBA versus a guy who may be looking kind of shaky against the Sioux Falls Sky Force. I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't know what that means. So it, we saw Lord R.J. Hampton really hurt his draft stock going to Australia. Uh, I think if he do it again, I certainly think he would consider just going to college. Um, and, I mean, LaMelo Ball is going to be fine, but who knows what LaMelo Ball's draft stock would have been like and what his brand certainly would have been like had he played at USC. So um, and we'll see. It's going to be an interesting venture. something I'm sure we'll be following, particularly probably every episode of this show, <laughs> the way things are going. But certainly it will be updated uh, in the near future. Let's get back now to some um, big commitments that we had uh, this past month. Uh, Greg Brown just last week announced that he would not be joining this uh, G League program. There was some discussion about whether or not he'd be one of the members. By the way, I do feel like this; these like three guys, I feel like they're like the NWO, <laughs> if you guys are wrestling fans. Like, you know, it's like, who's the third man? Who's the third man? Uh, <laughs> when uh, If you're a wrestling fan, you know, Hogan, Nash, and Hall, they became a group in WCW in the mid-'90s. I feel like uh, the guys in the G League, Green and Knicks and Todd, they're the new NWO. We were trying to figure out who the guys were that were going in the G League. Now we know. We thought maybe that third man was going to be um, Greg Brown, but he actually did decide to, to commit to his, uh, his hometown, Texas Longhorns, his home state, Texas Longhorns. And... This is a, a huge get for for Shaka Smart, whose job is definitely on the line. And and another big crew we had earlier this month, uh, Josh Christopher, surprised a lot of people and decided not to go to Michigan. Another, uh, it's been a rough month for Juwan Howard. Uh, a really really rough month. Um, two guys he thought he may have no longer has either of them. Christopher decides to go to Arizona State instead of uh, instead of Michigan. So uh, Brown to Texas, Christopher to to. Uh, ASU, what's your thoughts on those, Kendall? Yeah, I mean, well, Jawan Howard, welcome to college basketball. Yeah, uh, hard knock life. Yeah, hard knock life. Uh, you know, Michigan, I think, should be fine. They're a brand name. He's a big name coach, so I think they'll they'll be fine in the long run. But for next season, that's certainly a blow. Um, 
first on Greg Brown, I mean, you know, it, I, you have to feel like the, the situation with uh, the coronavirus certainly helped Texas in this recruitment, given obviously guys don't want to travel too far from home. Greg Brown being, you know, being able to stay right home in Austin. And just the idea of Shaka Smart not being there, you know, and the word was that Greg Brown said, I'm not going to Texas if Shaka Smart is not the coach. And Texas, I don't, I think they fire, I think they fire Shaka Smart, to put it bluntly, if uh, the situation wasn't so bad uh, around the country. And I mean, of course, that's hypothetical. You know, Wake Forest obviously made a change, which we'll talk about a little bit at the end, but, um, you have to feel like that certainly changed things uh, for his trajectory, which then made Greg Brown want to stay. And quite a get for Shaka Smart. I don't necessarily think it's a program changer. Um, I think it's somebody that can maybe give him an extra year or two. Uh, keep him above water. I think he'll take it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think he'll take it. He's got to. He's got to. He's got to stay. He's got to stay alive until you know he can find the next job. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, but. Uh, I don't know if he makes him a national championship contender, but they're bringing pretty much everyone back from last year's team that was looks like it was going to end up sneaking into the tournament. And now you add Greg Brown, and I mean, look, they, they're going to be a top twenty-five team next year. So, you know, credit to credit to what Shaka Smart's built over there in Austin. But uh, the Danny, the Bobby Hurley rather commitment of Josh Christopher is huge. Yeah. Um, getting a kid to stay out on the West Coast, uh, who's obviously a very West Coast kid. We talked about that in our recruiting predictions video i i mean i was one of the few guys that went against the green uh picking josh christopher to michigan uh 100 of the 247 crystal balls had him going to michigan and that's still to me like it never truly made as much sense that the people wanted it to make sense that someone from california would say i'm not saying guys i mean jalen green's from california was going to go to memphis but Jalen Green stated openly that he had no problem leaving California. I don't know if I ever heard that from Josh Christopher, but um, Josh Christopher obviously going to play with his brother at Arizona State, which also almost always ends up being the case. The guys typically end up going to play with their family member, whether it's Kate Cunningham, uh, whether it's what you know Deidre Lawson did when he went to Memphis and the yeah. Lawson brothers, Evan Mobley and his dad being on the staff of USC. I think it'll end up being what Jonathan Kuminga does if he reclassifies and goes to Texas Tech to play with his brother. Yeah, exactly. I think the, the Christopher stuff, I mean, I got to give you a lot of credit because, again, a lot of people were, were leaning Michigan. You were one of the few people who you thought Arizona State had a real shot, and that's a, a huge win for um, that program. And they, they could end up being a really good team next year. And as far as the Brown thing, I mean, Texas, as you said, they're bringing back almost everybody. It was a team that was – not great, obviously. They were sputtering, and they were trying to find a way to get themselves into the tournament. But they got some talent. And the, one of the biggest issues with the team was they lacked, you know, credible size. You know, size that could that could that can make a difference. And you know, Matt Coleman, Andrew Jones, uh, Courtney Ramsey, you know, solid guards. But they needed some some interior uh, interior help. They already got Jericho Sims. Now you add Greg Brown. Okay, now you're working with something. And if your shock is smart, sometimes. Uh, you know, you know the saying that you say, and I agree with, man. Once you're on the hot seat, you're never really off. So, are his days overall numbered? I'd say probably yes. But could this help him go a long way to to possibly um, having a really good year next year and maybe kind of cooling off that hot seat a little bit? Absolutely, because I think Texas is in the position 
um, in a conference where I think that's certainly going to be one of the one of the teams to beat. That if they surprise people and they win the Big Twelve or whatever, it, you know, then who knows where where things go. So it's definitely worth it. He had to have him. I think if they, they, Texas next year doesn't have Greg Brown, you know, again their expectations teams bring back everybody. They should be good, but as we know, generally this year, you know, expectations don't always work out that way. So they need a dynamic player. Greg Brown certainly is with his athleticism. So I think that uh, he's got to feel good about having having those having the, having that guy uh, on his roster. It's the only commit they have this year. He's the only guy yeah. in the Texas recruiting class. So he all the eggs were in the Greg Brown basket and. Uh, uh, what's the name? Uh, Shaka Smart um, came up. Uh, came up. Came up good with with that. Uh, with that. With that recruit. Um, let's move to some other recruits now that are cutting down their list. Uh, these are twenty twenty one recruits. Let's start um, with uh, Seattle forward Paolo Banchero. He is down now to Duke, Kentucky, Washington, Georgia, Arizona, and Tennessee. Uh, Memphis big man. Uh, Musa Cisse, he is now down to Florida State, Georgetown, Kentucky, Georgia, LSU, Memphis, and then um, and then uh, another kid, Kenny Chandler from Tennessee, point guard. He's also cutting his list down. He's to uh, Duke, Kentucky, Memphis, Tennessee, North Carolina. So the other guys are on six teams. Uh, Chandler has five schools. Uh, what, what do you make of the field that these three guys are, are, are deciding with? It's very curious to me, um, and you mentioned in the pre-show, that Cisse and Chandler, there is some overlap. Or Chandler and Benchero, rather. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, Chandler and Benchero, rather. There is some overlap some of the schools that, uh, that are being discussed. Yeah, really is overlap for all three, I guess, yeah. if you think about it. Sure. But, um, <laughs> No, but yeah, Benchero and Cisse, I mean, Benchero, I get them mixed up. Benchero and Chandler have been very, uh, you know, very vocal about the idea of them potentially packaging. And, you know, if that happened, you look at the schools like Duke, Kentucky, and Tennessee yeah. as potential options. Uh, Rick Barnes really seemed to have made a push for Benchero and Chandler. And I think you may want to label them as the favorites for Kennedy Chandler at this stage. And, I mean, if that's the case, that really puts them in the mix for Paolo Banchero. Because if you think about it, like, why would a five-star from Seattle want to play at Tennessee? It's just, it's not something that we've seen really in basketball. Maybe women's basketball, I'm sure it's happened. But in, course, in, yeah. in men's college basketball, I don't know if that's, that's, that's a rare sight. Uh, it's probably it's rare sight in college football as well. But, um Obviously, when the whole whenever a package deal is mentioned, that, that always stretches maybe a team's recruiting efforts. And so, if if Tennessee is able to land Kennedy Chandler, which will be tough, you know, considering you have to deal with uh, Duke also being in that mix and Kentucky will also be in that mix. Um, though that that'll be tough. Uh, and then with Banchero, Seattle kids always tend to do well. Uh, you know, in terms of going to Washington, I should say Washington tends to do well with Seattle kids. Uh, and they, you know, that's always been a threat, but I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sleep on, you know, Gonzaga as well. Cause if you're, if you're a Pacific Northwest kid, especially a big man right now, Gonzaga seems like the more attractive option than playing at Washington. And then obviously Kentucky and Duke are also in that mix as well. And both of them have the option of also, if you want to get both of Kennedy Chandler and Paolo Banchero. So 
that's how those recruitments st- stack up. And then with Musa Cisse, mm-hmm. he's an interesting guy because he seems to be right now on the fence between reclassifying. And if he reclassifies, he could probably be the, the final piece for Memphis's program. They've yeah. put a lot of effort into him ever since he transferred from Christ the King out in New York to uh, Lausanne in, in Memphis. And, you know, he's, I mean, the guy is an elite shot blocker, probably the best shot blocker in high school basketball right now. Certainly could reclassify and be ready to play college basketball from day one. Uh, obviously, still has a lot to a lot of work to do on the offensive side of the ball, but uh, having a rim protector like Musa Cisse for any program, they'll take him. Uh, but LSU uh, and Florida State have certainly emerged as potential options. And Florida State, Hamilton has always done well uh, over the last five, five, six years with seven footers. So I think that yeah. that's certainly that's certainly attractive for Musa Cisse. So I would not sleep on Florida State, but you know Memphis has put a lot of effort into recruiting Musa Cisse. So and losing pressure to Chua, they're going to need another big man. So and Penny has stated they still want one more big man. I, I'm I, I wonder who he's talking about. So yeah, <laughs> um, that's that's the priority there. And you know he hasn't stated whether or not he's reclassifying. But typically when guys have the conversation about whether or not whether or not they're going to reclassify, they typically reclassify. Yeah, whenever whenever you start hearing it, the chatter about it, it eventually happens. So that's going to be interesting to watch with Cisse. If he reclassifies, I would agree. I think Memphis would absolutely be uh, a, a massive favorite in that regard. But as you said, I, you know what? Like, shout out to Florida State. You know, Leonard Hamilton, they always seem to be in the mix. And then every now and then, they'll get a guy. You're like, oh, okay. I didn't think Scotty Barnes this year, you know, yes. five-star top ten guy. You know, most people thought Oregon bound maybe, maybe he'll go to Miami, kid from Florida. He he chose Florida State. Yeah, and, and Leonard Hamilton is an excellent recruiter. Um, he seems to make a, a really good impression on a lot of these kids, him and his program, because a, a lot of really top-notch players that you maybe wouldn't anticipate would consider the Knowles end up sit considering them, and some of them end up signing, you know, Jonathan Isaac being uh, one of the bigger ones in recent memory. So I wouldn't sleep on uh, the Knowles here, especially if uh, Cissé decides not to reclassify. Um, in regards to Banchero, I-, I like this kid's game. Um, I-, I watch him, and, you know, as a Gonzaga fan, I can't help but I- I see Rui Hachimura <laughs> when I watch him play. And I'm sure that's what Mark Few sees. I'm sure for Banchero, that's one of the reasons why the Zags are on this board. It is interesting to see um, the two Washington schools, Gonzaga and Washington, along with the more national programs that you would expect to be going after a player like Banchero, Duke, Kentucky, Arizona, Tennessee. You know, Tennessee thrown in there a little surprising, but to me, what's interesting about Tennessee and their run at not just uh, Banchero, but also uh, Chandler is, this to me is Rick Barnes really cashing in on the run he had last season. Grant um, Williams. Yes, because... Uh, Admiral Schofield. And that's, we always talk about it with, with recruiting college basketball. To me, it's like you know, a, coach, a new coach can come in, they make a great impact. And the key to sustaining that impact is, okay, can you cash in on that great visibility, that great season to then put in great recruiting classes? And one other thing about that, too, is you want to put in great recruiting classes, but they still got to fit your program. I, I One of the more, I think, insightful interviews I've ever seen on recruiting was on with Jay Wright. And Jay Wright mentioned how when he first went to the Final Four with Villanova, you know, it's kind of a similar situation, similar situation that Rick Barnes is in in, in Tennessee, a program that was kind of dormant. Uh, he gets there, they 
go on a great run. They didn't go to the Final Four, obviously, but they they were they they, they were one game away, pretty much, and um and they're one of the top teams in the, in the country, ranked number one at some point. And Jay Wright talked about how after that season, you know, he was getting you know the Allen Rays, the Randy Foys, the Kyle Lowry. These guys were you know good players, four star guys, but like these weren't McDonald All American, you know, top five, top ten type recruits. And Jay Wright, after what he did at Villanova in his first time going to the Final Four, started getting those guys. So those guys started being interested in going to Villanova. But he said the problem was they didn't fit his scheme. They didn't fit the program and what they were trying to establish. So it didn't make sense to be getting these just top guys who kind of came in. Maybe they had a little bit of an ego. To name names, uh, you're talking about Dominique Cheek, right? <laughs> I don't want to just throw any particular player under the bus because it wasn't no just Dominique Cheek. Guy, he was a great player. Yeah, but there were a lot of kids that, that had been like that. And you can argue the kid that just transferred from Villanova this year. Maybe it's kind of a similar situation. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, so so it's, so it's with, with Tennessee, I'm fascinated, especially if they're able to land these guys, is, okay, this is Rick Barnes definitely cashing in on that moment of you got the attention, recruits are interested, you got to cash in and get good players. And, and maybe doing that, but will these guys buy in to what Barnes is selling? Because it doesn't matter fan, how good these kids are. If they don't buy in, it, it won't work. As a Gonzaga fan, EJ, you've kind of dealt with that recently. I mean, Jalen Suggs is coming in next season as the biggest recruit in Gonzaga history. Yeah. And now you're on a list with Banchero. You know, Gonzaga may be the favorite for Jalen Suggs' teammate, Chet Holmgren, who's the number two player in the country, depending on who yeah. you ask. Some people say it's Banchero. Uh, how does it feel? How, how do you react to now seeing Gonzaga on the list? Of guys that are certainly one and done prospect. What's it, well, what's interesting is what we've seen from Gonzaga is we've seen guys that we thought they should be in in the in play for, and as recruits, and maybe they even were in play for as recruits. No, don't go to Gonzaga. Go someplace else. Kyle Wilson and, and Nigel Williams Goss. Go somewhere yeah. else. Come back and completely buy into the program. They're great assets to the team and you know they go on final four or you know elite eight tournament runs i i feel like with few and his recruitment of banchero i think he's very selective that's the impression i get you know it's hard to tell but if i feel like he goes after the guy that he knows can work that's why he's not in on every top guy now he's going to be in more top guys um he obviously got sucks this year and this next season he's going to be in with banchero and with uh with um Chet. Uh, Chet, exactly. I, I feel like he's targeting guys that he knows will buy into what he's selling, which I think is what makes Few a great coach. Um, yes, this is, I think Few definitely does belong in the conversation of, yes, he's also cashing in on the recent success the Zags have had because it hasn't been with guys who are top five guys, really. Um, they've been with really good recruits, you know, guys who were, you know, medallion Americans, you know, uh, you know, Petrusev is, is was a top 40, 50 recruit. Drew Timmy. Drew Timmy was an all American. So, like, you know, they're getting really good players, but they're still not getting the one-and-done potential type guys. I think that if he's going to get a guy like that, it's going to be a guy he knows can work. But that's the key. I think with all these coaches is that if you're not – like, you know, Duke, Kentucky, they don't care. You know, the, the school, like, everybody wants to play for them, so they don't have that issue as much. I think when you're a Gonzaga, you're a Tennessee, you're a Villanova, I don't think you should just be going for, you know, an all-star team. I think that for you, your team to kind of work with how you guys play, you're going to have to um, 
get guys that buy into a system. I think yeah. Kay and Cal Parry are kind of chameleons. I think they'll just, you know, put guys in a position that they want to be in for the most part. Um, or and, adjust their, whatever they have to do. I think that with, you know, a guy like Mark Few or Rick Barnes, they play a particular system. And you can't just upend and, everything you're doing for the sake of this one guy. And I think when it comes to cashing in, also in recruiting, and obviously the term cashing in is a little uh, <laughs> tongue-in-cheek probably. Yeah, but I don't, you know what we mean, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it, obviously, you know, when you ter- when it ter- when in terms of, you know, obviously uh, having recruiting success after, you know, on-the-court success, we also have to talk about a lot of these coaches have put guys in the NBA. You know, few now has put a plethora of bigs and point guards exactly. in the NBA. So now a Jalen Suggs can look at and say, oh, wow, you know, now Nigel Williams Goss is in the NBA. You know, he's got Jeremy Pargo. Like, he's put guards in the NBA. Paolo Banchero can and, look at. And those guys look at those guys and say, wait, that guy was nowhere near as good as me in high school. And that guy yeah. got to the NBA. Or that guy became an All-American yeah. You know, first team type guy, or that guy won the conference player of the year. Well, but what if he got? What if he got me and my talent? You know, these kids right. are starting to see that now. I've been right. saying that for years as a Gonzaga fan. Yeah, that they yeah, should look at them. And I and the same thing goes for Tennessee with Grant Williams. Same thing goes for Texas Tech with you know Jared Culver. Now them being in the mix with Kuminga and them exactly. getting Demar Burnett. You know, those types of programs feel like all right. Let's get one or two guys in the NBA and we'll really see things thrive. Last thing I want to mention on uh, Musa Cisse is that yeah. don't sleep on, you know, the fact that Memphis had Precious Uchua and Lester Quinones last season, and those guys both having a lot of success in their freshman season. Those guys are both from New York, and uh, Musa Cisse is from New York, and sure. obviously transferred to Memphis, which obviously all the jokes about, you know, Penny moving him to Memphis, like he moves Wiseman, certainly out there, but uh, he's, he's, he's a New Yorker who's obviously close with Preston Jachua and Lester Quinones. Don't sleep on not playing a, not playing a factor. Preston Jachua came in as one of those fringe five-star guys that we talked about, like a Dacian Nix or an Isaiah Todd that could have been one and done or could have had a rough freshman season. He absolutely had an excellent freshman season, AAC Player of the Year, American Conference Player of the Year, and now yeah. is a projected lottery pick. It, it's going to be tough for Musa to see that and not feel like you can't tell me those guys aren't in his ear saying we could we could do the same thing with you or yeah. Penny can do the same thing for you that he did for me if you're pressing the Chua. Um, it kind of goes back to I was watching the documentary on the EYBL that Uninterrupted did on Fox Sports uh, that EJ actually, you know, he tipped me off to, said it was good. And the director of the Oakland Soldiers uh, AAU program was talking about how they had Boogie Ellis, who's right now in Memphis. He talked about, you know, Boogie Ellis being from San Diego. He was like, if Boogie Ellis doesn't have a good experience here, I'm never going to get another play out of San Diego. <laughs> you know, because they're, they're a team in Northern California. Yeah. And I feel like that's what happened. That's, that could happen with Penny Hardaway and Musa Cisse. President Chua having such a good experience at Memphis could help him get other guys from New York. So yeah. that should be certainly something interesting to watch. All right. Last story of this podcast. Um, after announcing the firing of Danny Manning last week, uh, Wake Forest has moved ahead and hired uh, former East Tennessee State coach Steve Forbes to lead this program. Forbes led the Buccaneers to two conference tournament championships in his five years at uh, East Tennessee State. In every season, the Buccaneers won at least 24 games. This past season, they notched 34 wins uh, and were considered to be, uh, by many, a very dangerous threat in this tournament, 
had it happened. Um, what's interesting about Forbes now also is he has a very long history as a top recruit, a top uh, assistant. Um, he was assistant under Bruce Pearl at Tennessee. Uh, he was assistant under Billy Gillespie at Texas A&M. And he was an assistant uh, under Greg Marshall at Wichita State. He also coached one of the top uh, ju- uh, JUCO programs in uh, uh, in JUCO college basketball as well recently before going to East Tennessee State. So we've seen Wake Forest Kendall really, unfortunately, since the passing of Skip Prosser, really kind of be in a malaise, what feels like for like a, it's been more than a decade now, where um, we haven't really seen them make the kind of impact we would uh, you would expect after having you know, Tim Duncan and Chris Paul. They were, you know, a, a premier ACC program. They've kind of been, again, dormant. Uh, what do you make of this hiring of Forbes, and do you think he makes an immediate impact on the recruiting trail? Because they haven't really been getting those type of guys. Yeah, I mean, the last – I mean, I feel like – I mean, there are probably guys that I'm missing, but I feel like the last super five-star guy that they got was Alfred Camino. That's what I'm thinking, yeah. And that was a long time ago. Yeah. That was Skip Rosser. I think recruited him. Yeah, and then Dino Gaudio uh, signed him. Yeah, yeah, Dino Gaudio coached him. Yeah, but um, like that was a long time ago. And Wake Forest is—I mean—was a brand name in college basketball. Yes. Uh, you know, certainly, obviously, you said with Tim Duncan and then eventually Chris Paul. Like that era, they had—you know—it really was a really a four-team rivalry in North Carolina. It really doesn't feel like that anymore. It you feels know. like NC State is kind of the third wheel, and Wake Forest is like you forget they're probably even in the state because <laughs> uh, they don't get guys. Yeah. Um, so it, it's and it's tough because North Carolina is always a good situation to recruit in because Duke and North Carolina, especially recently, are national programs. They don't really. I mean, if they're that super five star guy in North Carolina, they'll get that guy. But you're there's plenty of opportunity for you to ground up the guys that are four stars that maybe Duke and North Carolina are overlooking. And they don't, they don't, haven't seen to be able to really be successful with those guys. So, look, I think Steve Forbes is a adept identifier of talent uh, and guys that maybe are a little under the radar. Uh, and like you said, he's an excellent recruiter, and he's able to get guys at Wichita State that fit the Wichita State brand. Uh, obviously, what he did at Tennessee was great. You mentioned the JUCO connections, and. At East Tennessee State, really showed not only is he an excellent recruiter, but he has some real coaching chops as well. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about it before. We talked about it on our podcast when the NCAA tournament was canceled, how we kind of felt bad for some of the coaches that weren't able to kind of build a brand for themselves off of a tournament run. Right. You know, Anthony Grant's of the world, uh, the Brian Dutcher's of the world at at San Diego State. Yeah. But, you know, Steve Brandt, uh, Steve, uh, Steve Forbes, rather. Still was able to, you know, build off of the success that he had at East Tennessee State to get a job like Wake Forest. Um, you know, you do feel happy for him. Uh, and look, I think, look, Danny Manning era wasn't going anywhere. So I understand why they wanted to make a move. And I think they're in, I think they're, they could be heading in the right direction. I wouldn't say that all of a sudden they're going to be some ACC power, but. Steve Forbes feels like one of those coaches that will find a way to get players to wake for us and will find a way to win games. Yeah, I think that, I, I mean, you texted me the hiring. I, I thought this was a, a really strong hiring. Um, it was it came at a weird time because they hired they fired Manning at a weird time. I think they fired him because they knew that they could get Forbes because that's the only reason why he fired a guy this late in the game. Um, I, I think this, is, this could end up being a really under-the-radar game-changing move potentially you know again potentially because you never know how things work out um but 
Forbes uh, knows the South very well, and that's the place where um, you're going to have to recruit to win um, at Wake Forest. It's crazy. There was a point when under, you know, uh, Skip Prosser, the Wake Forest Demon Deacons went to the tournament 12 out of 15 years. Since then, That's unbelievable. Think about it now. Since uh, 2006, they have only made the tournament three times. I mean, it's like it's night and day. You just think about like what Wake Forest was and what they they are now. It's like it's kind of wild. But I'm excited to see what Ford could potentially but, do. Ford, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, see, but it goes back to putting guys in the NBA, man. That helps recruiting. And look, they have Jeff T. They have Ish Smith, which and Chris Paul, three point guards in the NBA. So you would think point guards would be more interested in playing the NBA, but. I mean, Danny Manning, and he played in the NBA. So I don't know what I don't know where the the recruiting thing just didn't work out. You would well, think. Well, the one thing about Wake Forest is it's a the academic um, requirements are very high, um, which was part of the recruiting appeal to Wake Forest was, hey, okay, you don't want to go to like Harvard, but you can go to you know you can go to Wake Forest. It's kind of like it's kind of like the Vanderbilt of North Carolina, you know, where like. It's it's a very very it's a small school, but it's very hard to get into. It's the academic uh, the academic standards are really high, but you know if you're especially you're a guy who's staying four years trying to graduate, a degree from Wake Forest means a lot. So I think that it had its own recruiting niche that worked, and for whatever reason, trying to get the one of them guys, and Dino they none of them have really been able to quite figure that out. Um, because you don't have to get a bunch of one-and-done guys to compete in the ACC. You know, wasn't uh, Virginia Bennett's been winning the ACC without those guys. So so it, it, it didn't make sense why Wake Forest had become just so terrible. Um, similarly, kind of Boston College. Again, another program. It's like it's kind of crazy. But I think Steve Forbes can end up being a really strong hire. Like you said, he really showed he can coach uh, East Tennessee State. Because, you know, I like the idea of sometimes we talk about the assistant going to a big program and how it doesn't work because you realize a guy maybe in-game management isn't as good or maybe uh, the lack of ability to recruit with the name brand behind you is as good. Forbes having that long tenure as an assistant coach, then coaching in JUCO where he was a highly successful coach at JUCO. He got a lot of guys to D1. Then he went to East Tennessee State, a very, very good so uh, uh, mid-major program, to be fair. It wasn't like he went to a place that you know, has never been good. Never been in the tournament, yeah. Right. He went to a very good program, but he sustained that success, and they played exceptionally well this past season, and it, and it was a sustained success. It took multiple recruiting classes for that team to continue to play well. And he, he seems to have all the check marks I want to hear from a guy who maybe is coming from a smaller school, who's never coached at a big school, who's been a long-time assistant. I mean, I, I, I don't want to jump out the window and say, oh, Wake Forest is back. The, the the cupboard is bare. It's gonna take some time, but I think firing Manning was the right move, and I think uh, there's a chance that this fourth thing could work out. I I, I want to throw in one more thing that I want to mention real quick before we close out. Yeah. Um. You know, obviously, you watch uh, if you watch sports talk, we that Kendall Court at the Kendall's Court at the end. Uh, I want to throw a, a quick Kendall's Court for um. The Gatorade Player of the Year was announced, which is essentially the best player in high school basketball. And uh, the three finalists were Kate Cunningham out of Montverde, uh, Evan Bobley out of California, Rancho Christian, and 
uh, Imani Bates out of Michigan, uh, I believe Lincoln High School, and they gave it to Imani Bates, who's only a sophomore. And credit to Imani Bates, who you know will almost undoubtedly be the number one pick whenever he's ineligible for the NBA draft. But I think that that was a slightly disrespectful move to Kate Cunningham and Evan Mobley, particularly Kate Cunningham, who is who played on one of the, if not the best high school basketball team we've seen in a long time. Yeah. And a uh, team defeated. And, you know, he was certainly the best player in high school basketball last year. I I don't know how he, he didn't win that award. You know, I understand the Imani Bates hype is real. I understand he's going to be a superstar. And look, uh, you know, I'm not going to go on a rant, but, you know, I, I could look crazy, you know, 10 years from now saying that Imani Bates shouldn't have won this award as a sophomore. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, like I could be playing the sound bites. They could be playing this video in an Imani Bates documentary in 10 years. But I, I just think that giving this award to a sophomore who hasn't even competed at the highest level of high school basketball is egregious. As great as he is, Kay Cunningham, I, we didn't get a Geico national championships and things of that nature, but Kay Cunningham played a national schedule, played against all the best teams in the country, and won consistently, blew teams out consistently. And we're going to give it to Imani Bates, who team didn't really even play a national schedule? Uh, to me, that, that that's very premature. Again, great player, but I feel it feels like Gatorade was, and whatever selection committee they had, was feeding into the hype rather than looking at the facts of Kate Cunningham being the number one player in the country who's a senior in high school who has one of the most mature games we've seen for a high school prospect in a long time. Yeah. It's hard for me to it's hard for me to, to justify if you if you told me Kate Cunningham, like Evan Mobley is largely a potential prospect. So I'm I understand maybe you picking Bates over Mobley. But Cunningham is a better player than Bates is right now. That goes without saying. So I don't know. I that's that's my soapbox at the end. I think that Gatorade, you know, I don't know if they have something where they want to sign Bates in like five years, so they're going to give it to him now. But if I'm Kate Cunningham, I'm drinking Powerade going forward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Bates thing definitely seemed premature. Um, but I think it's one of those things where, you know, people like to get ahead of the curve and they want to be able to say that we were the, one of the first to recognize this person's greatness. You know, it kind of reminds me of. You know, Sports Illustrated's cover of, you know, the best high school player since LeBron James is Jabari Parker. You know, Jabari Parker's, you know, great high school player. Was he, did he deserve the LeBron James type hype? That seemed very questionable. Um, yeah, look back on it, looking back yeah, on it. Yeah, look back on it, it looks kind of crazy now. Um, if you talk about uh, even, I'm, I'm not sure if it's Time, one of these political magazines saying, you know, the savior of the Republican Party is Marco Rubio. Like, Again, this is a political show, but that seemed like, wow, that's a really big leap with like not a lot of real evidence to suggest it. But a lot of these times, these outlets do want to get ahead of the curve. So to me, this is what Gatorade is doing with Bates. They want to be able to say, hey, you know, we gave this high school phenom this award way earlier than anyone else would have awarded him this because we knew his greatness. And you hope that in 10 years, you know, he's the best player in the NBA. He's a phenom. He's the next LeBron James. And then they can have that. That's why that happened to me. It's so it's what's crazy about it is that like why not just do the smart thing because nobody looks back at LeBron because LeBron won it as a junior yeah which was great and he won it as a senior like he should have yeah but nobody looks back and says all right LeBron he came out in 03 so I guess his sophomore year the guys the best guys in high school basketball were Kwame Brown and Tyson Chandler 
Nobody looks in Eddie Curry. Nobody looks back and says, oh, why did people think, why did Tyson Chandler win player of the year in high school over LeBron? That's so crazy. Kwame Brown was such a bump. Those guys were good in high school. <laughs> right, yeah. It was the reason they were drafting the top two or three. Yeah. Like, it, nobody, LeBron was a sophomore. No, it, it wasn't crazy to have those guys at the player of the year in high school as as, as, as seniors when, Le, when LeBron was a sophomore. It, it, like, if Kate Cunningham won player of the year, he would have lived up to the hype. I, I mean, I'm not saying he's going to be a great player, but no one's going to look back and say, and say, oh, man, that Kate Cunningham will remind me. Yeah, yeah, he clearly, Kate Cunningham was a, is clearly a great high school player and the best player potentially. Is that best in terms of, like, winning and what his Right, he's talking about, like, stats. right now. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, yeah, so I don't know. I Again, there's certainly some marketing involved in that. And I don't know. I don't. I don't want to say I, I lose respect for the Gatorade Player of the Year, but it's kind of like you know you realize you know a lot of this is all a uh, it's all a show. <laughs> yeah. Well, make sure our viewers and listeners remember this um, in 15 years when this segment is on the uh, the next dance, the story of uh, Imani Bates. Yes. His run, his run with the New York Knicks. Yeah, I can't to, wait. To uh, six NBA championships. Yeah, I'm going to be the guy that was blasting Imani Bates in high school. Like, Imani Bates, like, this idiot this idiot on this podcast was talking about how I didn't deserve to win Gatorade of the Year. And that's that's really what propelled me to be the, the best player in the NBA. Yeah, if I'm powery, I'm, I'm coming out and saying, uh, yeah, our powery player of the year is Kate Cunningham. Yeah, they don't even have an award. I just come out and be like, yo. Yeah, just make up an you know, we just we just decided during you know during these dark times we want to you know honor our high school athletes and Kate Cunningham, you're the star, you're you're the player of the year. I don't know, I would do the same thing. All right, but I think that's gonna wrap up uh, our uh, first ever episode of the Uncommitted Podcast, a basketball recruiting podcast. I really hope you guys enjoyed it. Again, this can be found on our YouTube channel, New Generation Media. This is episode one. You can also find it on our podcast network, New Generation Podcast Network. That's the audio version, clearly. Um, you can find that on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Um, that's it for us, though. Thank you guys for, for watching, and thank you guys for listening in. For Kendall, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.